I'm a Nazi. Um, don't isolate that. Whatever you do, don't give this. <laughs> don't 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 give this. Don't don't give. No one this. clip that. No, no one clip, clip that. No one clip that. No one clip that on no the. No one clip uh, that. The hot the hot hot new streaming service mixer. No one clip that. A guy is driving home one day and hears a voice that says, sell your car, sell your house, take all the money and go to Vegas. He thinks it's weird and that he's imagining things. Same thing happens the next day, and then again, every day for weeks. Finally, after about a month, he decides to do it, sells his car, his house, takes all the money, and flies to Vegas. As soon as he gets off the plane, the voice says, Go to Caesars. He does. And the voice says, go to the roulette tables. He does. And is getting excited now. The voice says, bet everything on 10. He does. He's got $400,000 at 35 to 1 odds. His heart is in his throat as the ball spins. And it comes to a stop. On 28 the voice says, oh, shit. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name is Henry. And my name is John. And together we're Henry and John coming at you to discuss the cultural happenings of the zeitgeist. That's right. And uh, I'm just going to put all my cards on on the table right here, John. Uh, that joke and the intro are all that I prepared this week. Nice. I also don't have a ton prepared, but I'm sure with everything that's happening in the world, we'll be able to come up with a lot. Unrelatedly, do you want to talk about the beer that we're drinking for way too long? Uh, we could do that. We could really fill for time here. By But the only problem is I'm drinking the same beer that I've drunk for the past two weeks. Uh, Vanilla Porter by Breckenridge Brewery. Oh, you still can't find that pecan porter? Uh, I haven't been to the store since, I, I don't know if, if we want to reveal too much, but uh, Austin's going to shit, John. Yeah, Austin's got uh, real bad things going on. I'm going to the store probably too often, uh, but our city's in pretty bad shape. Not as bad as Houston and Dallas, I don't think, but still pretty bad. It, it is coming to light. that. So for those of you who don't know, because you don't live here, uh, Austin has had some record-setting days of and the number of new cases in COVID-19. Perhaps you've heard of it. H- have they heard of it, John? Um, some of them have. Hmm. The, they'll, be, uh, they'll be informed by... If they haven't heard of it, they'll learn. Okay. Well, uh, so, I mean, since this started, we hadn't really ever broken, like, days with 200 or more new cases, and then 
one right after the other, we had 222 new cases, then 400-something new cases, and then 500 new cases. And then yesterday, it dropped down to only 129 new cases, and today it's somewhere around 200. And so what happened is there was a backlog in data not being entered, and they just happened to enter a bunch of cases at the same time. Oh, on the are same you kidding day. me? No, that's no. <laughs> so we're still trending upward, John. So don't don't get too relaxed. The growth factor is still at a factor of like two or more, which is the opposite direction that we want to go. Um, but those huge spikes were lat what they call data lag. Yeah, well, I mean, still two hundred new cases a day is terrible. And, and 200 new cases a day is still more than we've had all the way up to this point. Like, since this started in February, we hadn't logged a day of 200 new cases at a time. Uh, another big indicator that this is actually a real thing and not just data lag is that uh, hospitalizations are going up and uh, beds are running out in hospitals across Austin. So, like, we are in the middle of a spike. It's just not as bad as the those individual days are suggesting. Yeah, I think that uh, if we had sustained hospitalizations every day of like 20 plus, then we enter like stage four. Uh, some of that's not uh, enforceable because of certain things that our governor did, but whatever, it all sucks. Let me tell you what beer I'm drinking. Yes, please enlighten me. Even though you are continuing to drink your Breckenridge Brewery Vanilla Porter, I am able to vamp for time with Perhaps the most verbose beer I've had recently. What's verbose mean when it comes to beer? I'll, you'll figure it out from context. So I'm drinking an Altstadt lager uh, brewed in Fredericksburg, Texas. Uh, home of Worstfest, I think. They've got a whole like German thing going on there. Is that right? In Fed- Fredericksburg? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have a, it's called Fredericksburg. It's a huge German town. Oh, Fredericksburg. There we go. Uh, So let me go ahead and just read you uh, a little bit, a little story uh, as as written on this can of Altstadt lager. Uh, It is a premium German style beer with rich roasted malts and a fine and smooth finish. Born in Fredericksburg, Texas, immersed in German history, made with only pure Texas hill country water and German hops, malts and yeast now that's one part of the label the label continues <laughs> the label continues every every can uh says altstadt lager munich style beer made in texas this hellas lager uses 100 percent german malt imported noble hops and from the hollertau region and cold fermenting yeast from wines from weinstefen Germany, creating a perfectly balanced, smooth beer that is noticeably malty and finishes clean. Altstadt Brewery at Altstadt, we brew authentic German-style beers in the heart of Texas Hill Country. These traditional beers are handcrafted to old-world standards, inspired by the Reinheitsgebot, the German beer purity law established in 1516. We use only 100 percent natural imported ingredients and pure texas hill country spring water to deliver the supreme drinkability and smooth crisp flavor you expect from german style beers ellipses only brewed right here in fredericksburg texas 
So what are you drinking? Come visit our state-of-the-art brewery, tap room, and restaurant. Brewed and oh bottled in LLC, Fredericksburg, Texas product of the USA. Taste and tour Altstadt details at altstadtbeer.com. What kind of beer is it? That's a lager. Oh, I'm not an interested anymore. Uh, it's very delicious. Oh, I'm glad it's, to hear it. It's very, very good. I... This is a, you know, a beer is going to be good or at least interesting when you have a nice embossed can. The can itself is embossed? Like the letters are slightly raised. I don't know if that's what embossing is. That's what embossing is, I'm pretty sure. I thought embossing was the act of becoming boss. Yeah, yeah no, I am boss too. Uh, yeah, that is my uh, favorite one of the many sequels to I Am Legend. Yeah, I am boss too. They ran out of legends. They had to settle for a boss. Yeah, uh, embosses carve, mold, or stamp a design on a surface so that it stands out in relief. Exactly. So I'm glad you have an embossed can filled with lager beer from Fredericksburg, Texas. That's the about the extent of what <laughs> I what I picked up from that that can that you read. Uh, now, I think it's really interesting that they name drop the Rheinheitske boat. Not a lot of beers talk about the Rheinheitske boat. All right, so you've said that twice. What is that? Oh, it's just uh, Germany passed like a, a law in the 16th century about how pure beer could and should be. Fascinating. Yeah, that's that's it. Now, that's a lot different from how they used to uh, test beer. Have you ever heard of... Uh, like a, an English hot buttered beer? No, but I... Wait, no, butter beer is like from uh, the Harry Potter series. Oh, yeah, written by uh, Hatsune Miku and Shakira. Yeah, sure. So, uh, butter beer in those accursed books, hashtag read a different book. No, they're fine, uh, other than their author. Uh, Butterbeer is inspired by this English tradition of hot buttered beer where they would take a mixture of uh, demerara, which was like brown sugar, and mix that up with butter. And they would add it to boiling beer uh, and also with full cream. So it would be this mixture of like low hop uh, English ale mixed with basically a hot milkshake. Uh, and, and that's where butterbeer came from. And people used to do that because they would have beer testers going around drinking beer uh, to see if it was pure enough to sell. Because if beer went rancid, they would get people sick. Uh, how, so to, how do, how do to I avoid get doing job? that, places, places would sell less actual beer and they would adulterate it, add spices, make it hot, mix it with wine. Uh, how do mostly I get they this would job? mix it with things that were uh, sweet. How do I get this job? Uh, it's You would have to go back to the 16th century, probably. Done. <laughs> Time machine. <laughs> uh, um, now, of course... I will gladly drink all your beer to make sure you don't get sick. Now, there is a, an argument to be made that... Uh, and a, a lot of this actually fell out of a, a YouTube series that I'll, I'll talk about. It's called Tasting History. Uh criminally undersubbed so please sub it's great uh but he talks about there being a kind of a wives tale or a legend that beer tasters rather than 
drinking the beer, they would wear leather breeches or breeches, and then they would pour the beer on a bench, and then they would sit on the bench and wait for the beer to dry. And then if when they tried to get up, the bench stuck to their butt, they would shut the place down because that means that the beer was too sweet. Ah, I get it. Butter beer. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Wow, that's amazing. I hear I thought the like they mix the beer into melted butter or something. No, it's crazy. It, initially, in the first publication of Harry Potter and those what sorcerers, whatever, uh, it was actually butt beer. Just straight up butt beer. Straight up butt beer. And that's actually what it was called in the book is straight up butt beer. It's a Dobby or whoever <laughs> the fuck orders a straight up butt beer. Who cares? <laughs> I remember that exact sentence in Harry Potter. But John, I feel like we need to stop talking about Harry Potter. And you know why? Why? Zoomers have one thing, two things against millennials. And uh, one of those things is that we talk about Harry Potter too goddamn much. You know, I really can't blame them. We also can't use the word adulting for some reason. Um, you know, Zoomers, they've got our number. I think that we should... I don't think we should stop talking about Harry Potter other than striking its author from history. Um, but I don't... I'm not a big fan of adulting. Nor it's, am I a particularly big Harry Potter fan. It's funny because I always, you know, imagined us arm in arm, you know, generations linking together to fight those that came before. Uh, but I didn't realize that we are those that came before to them. And so we are their natural enemy. And it kind of stings a little bit. Well, the interesting thing to me is that millennials chose as their target baby boomers. Gen Xers have largely been left out of this equation. Right, because they don't do anything. They're X'd out of the equation. But typically speaking, uh, aren't Zoomers the children of Gen Xers? Yeah, I guess so, unless millennials are having kids 10 years ago. Uh... Yeah, you that would really only hit your like elder millennials, and you know we're not having babies till we're like forty five, right? Because we can't afford to. So I I wonder. It's interesting to me that Gen X has never been viciously attacked. I'm sure they got attacked a little bit, but not nearly as much or as hard as millennials got attacked. I mean, people could talk about a lot with Gen Xers, like a a manufactured apathy and uh, anti-authoritarian streak that eventually just turned into them joining the exact same corrupt system uh, that the baby boomers were part of. They also created, like, punk rock and grunge, so, I mean, they had that going for them. Yeah, but, I mean, we created Electro Swing. (laughs) Electro Swing? Yeah, we created Electro Swing, we created... um, there's Mumblecore, there's Neo-Mumblecore, there's the whole mumble rap was is a thing. I'm just saying things with the word mumble in them. I mean, millennials did contribute a ton to hip-hop. Yeah. But Gen X created rhyme. <laughs> I'm, I'm just know. saying, Gen X, I don't know, no yeah, one's so, safe. And it, it, please, it, attack it, us. <laughs> It, I, you know, I was hoping that we would be the generation that got skipped over for being made fun of, you know, by the ones that came before, because we were already being hit so hard from the baby boomers. Like, we're getting it coming and going now. Like, that doesn't seem fair. 
Yeah, and I think that here's how I envision it. Now, Zoomers, uh, by the way, update on my Zoomer friends. I no longer have Zoomer friends. That was apparently a long con. Uh, it's it's what's called a friendship scheme. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm broke. But I have learned from them before everything happened that I think the Boomers are our shared enemy. And we have kind of like a... Like a quick, give me two Harry Potter characters who have like a like a grudging companionship. Oh yeah, of course. Who could forget the time honored Harry Potter characters, uh, Headwing and 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 Crimble Snakes. That's right. We're we millennials and Zoomers are a real Headwing and Crimble Shanks. Uh, you know, we we trade barbs, but we have a common enemy, which is give me a give me a major enemy or evil person from the Harry Potter universe. Uh, uh, Rhaegal. Yeah, Rhaegal. We are a real headwing and gringle, gringle dinks, uh, and we are fighting against Rhaegal. That time-honored Harry Potter plot. Is it going to become in vogue to, like, do what we just did and get Harry Potter facts wrong? I think it's already in vogue, baby. Teen Vogue. <laughs> am I, am I, so I, I think we Teen Vogue. Oh, that's really good. I think we've just shed our, our millennial loyalties to try to join the Zoomer brethren and say, like, look, look, we're just like you. We also, like, hello, fellow kids. Harry Potter sucks, am I right? Yeah, Her- listen, listen, Zoomers. Harry Potter sucks. I also stream every waking fucking instant of my life. Uh, let me join you. I yeah. stream video games all the time. It's me. I'm a Zoomer too. I'm a Zoomer. I do cocaine. I lost my virginity way too young. And I post pictures of my illegal naked body on TikTok for all to see. But I'm afraid to call the doctor. Please. I The, the number one thing I want you to do is uh, watch me stream, become a subscriber, uh, buy my OF, uh, please. Right. Uh, I'm on Twitter constantly, and now we're just making fun of everyone. No, mainly just people who are on Twitter. Why is everyone has tw- everyone on Twitter has an OnlyFans? Yeah, I don't want to make fun of people who have an OnlyFans because sex work is work. Uh, but I don't know. Is it real? Okay, I'm not going to take that side. Yeah, don't do that. Oh, we're getting into the weeds, John. We're getting into the weeds. I don't know where are we. Where are we right now? Um. You mean in life? Yeah. What's um, happening? What, 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 what are we doing? What are we doing right now? Yeah, what are we doing? Uh, we're recording a podcast trying desperately to stay relevant. All right, so we're like every other person with a podcast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm So ever since COVID started, I've been spending way too much time on Twitter just because it seemed like a really good way to get like a feet, you know, a beat on what's happening, what's going on, and I, I really tuned in at the height or the beginning of like the, the Black Lives Matter protest that you know swept across the nation, and I really, I really kind of missed those couple of weeks where that was the only news going on because like it was very, you know, I, I knew what my role was, you know, retweet, share, spread the message, get stuff going out f- to further, further places, and and then like the second scandal popped up and then like a third scandal popped up and then like a fourth and all these things just keep popping up and now it's like there's too much 
I think that is a pretty common experience with Twitter is a Twitter overload. It's like just a couple just a couple of weeks ago the world was so simple, John. It was a stand in unity, you know, against people like the police murdering black people. That that's that's the only thing I had to care about. I got that message out. We kept I'm still doing it. Like it's not over by a long shot. And uh, so it's like it, but that's what I put a hundred percent of my energy behind. And then these these male comedians come out of the woodwork and male actors come out of the woodwork abusing underage girls. And like that's bad too, but I don't want to detract from the like the other message that was important. I, I'm not trying to complain. I'm just saying there's a lot going on now, whereas before two weeks ago it was simpler. Oh, I, I think that uh, you're exactly right. Is that the thing that we had to worry about was like a large. Uh, it was a polarized issue in that there were pretty much just people on, on two sides of it, but it was a very simple thing is should innocent people be killed um, or, or should people in general uh, be killed by the police that we spend an ungodly amount of money to protect us when all they do is uh, disproportionately kill the most disenfranchised of us. That's easy. Right. It's easy to pick a side. You're either with the good guys or the bad guys uh, and you're making a choice. Yeah, it, it's very you know the last Airbender. There, there, there's the Fire Nation and there's everyone else, and like you just pick a side. You're not for the Fire Nation. It's easy, but I feel like what's happening now is kind of like the Legend of Korra, where there's like a new bad guy every every week, and now it's kind of like, well, where do I focus my energy? Because like there's no Fire Lord to hate. Do I hate this Amon guy? Do I hate this Udalak guy? Like. What's going on? Every season, there's a new person I need to learn to hate. Yeah, it's it's a real Legend of Korra situation because now we're actually we're struggling against a theme rather than one thing. Exactly, uh, it's more nebulous. It's it's much it's much harder to fight against, and I think, uh, and, and this isn't useful for everyone, but I think that it is useful in times like this. Uh, care about three things tops <laughs> so so really dedicate like so have your ideals have your belief system that you can rely on on the day-to-day but have like three things you really throw your energy behind no i, I really do think that you know care stay informed but like for me uh one of my three things is just like human rights or just the rights of living things because i'm a i'm a veggie guy uh but like that's that's one that i care about and mass infringement on those rights uh and and the murder of innocent people i'm like uh yes i'll signal boost i'll be a part of this and then i find out that like christy elia was like taking advantage of like young girls and there's a bunch of really gross stuff happening with male comedians i'm like yes that sucks and i will speak against out against these people whenever possible but it's not in my top three and it hurts for it not to be in my top three, but that's when you have to trust that the rest of society, that there are a lot of people where that is in their top three. Okay. But wait, wait, you said your top three, one of your top three was like human rights. Yeah. It's like making sure that people's rights are respected. Well, what about the right to not be sexually abused by Christy Elia? Yeah, that one's tough. But <laughs> I feel I feel like things fall under your large umbrella of a of a top three that you you might be able to 
to stand to speak out against it. Yeah, I guess you should maybe make your top three like pretty, pretty specific. I'll I'll move that one back, and uh, I'll say the the killing or disenfranchisement of people by the state. Gotcha. All right. So Christelia, unfortunately, or fortunately, probably fortunately, uh, does not represent any state government body. Uh, <laughs> yes. Now, a uh, true story about Christelia that I said while we weren't in the recording times is uh, people have recommended his stand-up to me uh, multiple times. And every time I see him or listen to him speak, I'm like, man, he seems gross. And now, apparently, he is. Yeah, I mean, he, the the guy played uh, a child predator on Workaholics and uh, is the antagonist in Netflix's You. I say that in the present tense. Obviously, they're not going to go forward with that. And Comedy Central already pulled the episode of Workaholics where he guest starred. Um, because as it turns out, he was never acting. It's, uh, it's... Now, did Louis C.K., was he ever, did he ever play, like, a real creep? Uh, have you ever watched the FX original show, Louis? Uh, no. Was he a creep? Uh, he had creepy moments, but, uh, have you ever watched any of the stand-up of one Louis C.K.? Yeah, he does kind of talk about being a creep. So half of his jokes are about masturbation, and that's, that was the main issue with uh, what he did wrong was he just he started masturbating in front of women comedian that he would comedians that he would invite to his room. So it's like it's a it's another situation where it's kind of like he wore his desires on his sleeve through his act. And it might also be one of those situations where, like you know, people were trying to tell us about Bill Cosby for decades, and it took us so long to listen. I think people can't help but tell on themselves. Uh, Kevin Spacey in American Beauty. Yeah, you know when you know when that script passed by Kevin Spacey, he was like, "Man, is this too on the nose?" I don't know the context of that. I've just seen that repeated time and time again. Every time that uh, Chris D'Elia comes up for the past two days, I think American Beauty was him lusting after like a, a young woman. Uh, so. Basically, we should just round up people who play creeps and then treat them as such. I saw somebody comment, uh, so why why are we waiting for this to come out? Let's just hold an audition for pedophiles and just arrest everyone who shows up. I mean, it's probably not a bad way to start. Yeah. Uh, so Christy Elia, uh, a so-called comedian, I've never actually seen any of his work, to be honest, uh, Got in trouble because he was like uh, soliciting relationships with underage girls via Snapchat. Oh boy, that's the only thing people would still be using Snapchat for. Uh, there's a there's actually a pretty funny clip. Apparently, he went on some podcast. You know, the, the all these comedians that run in the same circles they all have podcasts and they all just take turns going on each other's podcast. Um, and uh, there was a story that they were covering about a young boy who got in trouble from his mom because his mom found snapshots and screen recordings of Snapchat stories uh, that the young boy had saved. And the the video clip that's making the circles is Christy Elia going, 
Well, how did how did he get found out? Wasn't this on Snapchat? Don't those go away? Oh no! And he's quickly informed by the rest of the people on that podcast that you can snape, you can save Snapchats, you can screen record it. And he's just in a kind of a stunned silence for the next ten seconds. <laughs> and so the internet at, at large have have taken turns inserting different songs there, like the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme. Yeah, that's a good one. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Uh, and some other musical stings that really just highlight the moment because he's obviously putting one and one together to equal he's about to get canceled big time. Yeah, you know at that point he like saw the fuse on the bomb that is his career get lit. And the funny thing is, uh, it's not funny, but the interesting thing is, and this happens a lot, every time like somebody gets found out for being a creep, there's like a trickle-down effect of more creeps get found out. Yeah, because I think creeps, like, stick together. Well, and, and like, this this isn't even related. Uh, so I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter, but uh, a lot of things have come out with, about Megan Fox and her treatment by one Michael Bay. Oh, no, is Michael Bay getting canceled? He should absolutely be getting canceled. Uh, I don't know if this is happening or not, but he... He should for his treatment of a 15-year-old Megan Fox. Oh, no. And and this isn't even behind the scenes. This was like auditioning for Transformers. Like, this is part of the process of being an actress. And uh, when, when Megan Fox was 19, she went on to Jimmy Kimmel, and she told a story about a very uncomfortable moment between her and Michael Bay, to which she got a... Oh, oh, okay. From one, what's his name? The guy Jimmy I just Fallon? said. I said Jimmy Fallon. I meant Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, apologies to Fallon. I hey. meant Jimmy Kimmel. So that's happening right now. It gets dumber, John. It gets a lot dumber. I've never seen Transformers Four, but somebody posted a clip of Transformers Four to Twitter, and in that clip. There is like a five-minute scene where a protagonist explains to somebody else why it is legally okay for him at 20 to be dating a 17-year-old. And it goes so far as the, the, the 20-year-old carries a copy of the Romeo and Juliet law in his wallet to show the person and say that, no, no, it's okay because there's only three years between us. And this is apparently a real law in the state of Texas. Uh, This is incredible. Rather than make the the, the other person in the relationship 18, which is, from a writer's standpoint, way easier than having a five-minute scene with all of this exposition about how this Romeo and Juliet law is real and actual and carrying... No lie, a copy of the law in his wallet. They decide to do this to show that, no, no, it's fine. So is this like, uh, well, I want to get your okay for a generalization here. Some people like nitpick the difference between like a pedophile and and a febophile, someone who like finds people in their teens, but still underage, sexy. Right, right. That's a people. Yeah, they draw a distinction of like, no, no, it's okay, they're past puberty. Yeah, are you okay with me referring to all of those people as pedophiles to not get into semantics? 
I think no, honest. This is a real belief I have, and I'm not being a, I'm not joking here. The people who who care enough to make that distinction are are pedophiles. Like <laughs> I think that everyone who's like, well, actually, it's called a febophilia. They uh, take a look at that internet search history sometime. Yeah, no, absolutely. The people who know the difference and and speak up to defend it, like they 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 go out of their way to say, well, actually, she was sixteen, which falls into the realm of the thing you said. I can't remember the word. You know, those people are 100% like sexual predators and should be held in the same esteem as, as pedophiles. Yeah, I, I consider them all to be pedophiles. Uh, it, I feel like, do you know who Alan Dershowitz is? He's a famous lawyer. He sounds very familiar, so he probably, you know, popped up here and there. Uh, he uh, He's famously very litigious, so this is parody. Uh, but but Alan Dershowitz, a uh, very famous attorney, also uh, lots of like weird Jeffrey Epstein connections. Uh, he will, I believe, in the past has published a lot of kind of hypothetical arguments uh, defending people who are being accused of like a febophilia or, or dating people who are underaged. Uh, and sometimes I feel like creeps just write fan fiction about themselves which is the michael bay thing which is the christy elia thing starring you yeah i feel like creeps love being creeps so much so that it infects their work well okay i i hear what you're saying and i think what it stems from like a a desire for this this abhorrent or deviant deviant the word i wanted a deviant behavior to be normalized in some way. And uh, for a lot of these creative types, their normalization is like movies and, and television, their work. So, and I think they think if they can justify it within the realms of their, of what they can control, which is like their creative efforts, then they're taking steps forward to normalize it in everyday life. Because the things we see on TV are like, that's what society wants. That's accepted. And so they're they're doing their quote part to try to normalize their deviant behavior and make it okay in the eyes of society. And if we're to operate from the assumption that, and and this is a belief that I hold, I think that uh, people who find themselves attracted to children probably do so uh, without making a choice to be attracted to them. I don't think it's like a conscious decision to be attracted to these people. Uh, And in that way, I guess I feel sorry for them. Uh, People who act upon that, uh, disgusting, to be clear. Yeah, so, so yeah, that's exactly it. Like, absolutely, like, it's, it's a, there's a, it's a psychological condition. It's, it's not something that they can control that doesn't excuse it, but... It, it, there's definitely a difference between the people who feel those urges and the people who act on those urges. Uh, and, you know, if, if anyone suffers from that, you do feel a little bit sorry for them. I guess that's what Lolita is about, that 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 novel that I've never read. Um, but you, there's no excusing the acting on it. Oh, absolutely not. What I was saying with that is, if we are assuming 
that this is a thing for them that they have no control over, then probably putting it into their work is similar to how Quentin Tarantino puts a lot of like unclad lady feet really close to the screen in that it's something that's kind of integral to his life and his existence as a sexual being. And he wants to normalize it, uh, which is why Chris D'Elia would have a script pass his way where he's like, Oh, I'm a predator. Sweet. Yeah. This is real funny. Huh? (laughs) This is kind of fun. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. laughing at it, so it must be good, right? <laughs> yeah. So in in that way, it might even be like a like a like a deeper pathology, like a a deeper neuroses, the the desire to put it into your work so you don't feel bad about it, or you hope that maybe society will look more kindly upon it. Yeah, I, I mean, in that, in the in the case of Quentin Tarantino, like he might actually think the shot looks better if her feet are in the shot. He might not be able to explain exactly why, but, you know, it it might be like, no, this is just, like, aesthetically pleasing to me, the director who's controlling the shots. Uh, And that might explain some of it, but I really feel like when it it comes down to, like, deviant behavior, like, you know, Louis C.K. and and Christy Elia and... Well, those are the two that I have uh, examples of. Um, I, I really feel like it comes more, Oh, and Michael Bay. It, I really feel like it comes more from this, this desire to see it on like a big screen or in a wider, something bigger than themselves so that they can feel like, okay, this is starting to feel like more normal. And, and so now if I, if I ever get found out, maybe it won't be such a big deal because like Transformers 4 million dollar <laughs> box office the 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 idea that Michael Bay would be like hey I'm gonna explain the Romeo and Juliet law in my movie so in case anyone ever finds out uh ridiculous but I feel like uh honestly for people I I don't mean to like conflate your Quentin Tarantinos who uh are geniuses and also their foot thing is harmless uh I don't mean to conflate them with your Christy Elias and your Michael Bay's because I feel yeah, like no. everyone has like a, I feel like everyone has a certain number of like fetishes, not necessarily sexual, but like a, a limited visual vocabulary that they see the world with. And then that expands. Uh, right. But I, I feel like everyone has like a visual vocabulary where they say like, Oh, this is the thing I like to see. That's what I'll put in my movies for Quentin Tarantino. Obviously that's feet. Uh, for the directors of Fast and Furious, it's a series of like gyrating, <laughs> but admittedly small-butted women uh, yeah. <laughs> wearing I, belts for some reason. But I feel like it extends past like past what people find enjoyable sexually. Like personally, the thing that I will always enjoy a movie more for having is one shot where someone is ejected out of a window from far <laughs> away, and you hear their distant <laughs> scream. Every. <laughs> I think that I love every movie I've ever seen that in Emperor's New Groove, Gremlins, <laughs> every movie where someone is ejected from a window far away and you hear their distant scream. It's a very specific thing, but I have what is the closest thing to like a visual fetish for that. And that, yeah. that is part of my limited visual vocabulary that I like to see. Yeah, no, like when it comes to Quentin Tarantino, I'm not trying to equate him with the others we've talked about. I would equate him more to like Ridley Scott's perchance to to film sweeping landscape shots as yeah. transitions between his scenes. Like 
it, 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 when it comes to like film and cinematography, there, there are just these moves, you know, it's the wipe in star Wars that George Lucas used originally, you know, the different types of wipes he would do. Um, these are just, yeah, exactly what you said, like a visual vocabulary type things, but they might speak more to what people like to see, you know, and, and, and it might play into a sexual thing. Like maybe Tarantino, I don't want to speak for the man, but you're right. That's sort of more harmless. Whereas Michael Bay, Christielia and others, it's Louis, Louis CK are obviously trying to normalize deviant behavior through public acceptance. Yeah, and everything that I said was to make the point you just said, is I, I don't necessarily mean to say those things are equivalent. Yeah. That's so insane about Michael Bay and the Romeo no, and Juliet. I know. That's insane. Like, uh, there's, it's a full, like, uh, I'd say five minutes to round up, but it's like four minutes and some odd seconds of, uh, and unfortunately, it's it's one of the uh, the, the Hensworth brothers. I think it's uh, Liam Hensworth. Oh, poor like, Liam. Takes his wallet out, and there's a copy of the law in all of the legalese in his wallet, and he's explaining, like, you know, we're just only three years between us, and so even though she's underage, it's fine. It's like, you're in a movie about transforming goddamn robots. What the fuck is this about? Yeah, why can't you just age that character up by a year so you don't have to have this conversation? But the Absol- thing is... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is what I was going to talk about, about, like, Louis C.K., Louis C.K., uh, Bill Cosby... Kevin Spacey, now Chris D'Elia, Michael Bay. I feel like every time one of these creeps comes out, or at least they're a creative creep that's like in front of a camera on a fairly regular basis, they're not your insidious creeps like your Harvey Weinsteins. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where they have a a visual or uh, an oral creative output, every time one of them really gets ousted as a creep, Every time people are like, yeah, here's 15 years worth of proof of them literally saying what creeps they are. But how did we as a society never catch them saying that or catch people like going on talk shows and being like, Michael Bay was a real creep to me when I was 15. And our Jimmy Kimmel's being like, haha, take it away, Sammy. (laughs) Is this this band leader named Sammy? I have no idea. Um, (laughs) But, like, it's the Louis C.K. thing where they're like, yeah, here's him talking about being a creep. And here's multiple interviews with female comedians literally saying what he's being accused of. He has been being accused of this for years. And why are we just now paying attention? Like, what flies under the radar for us as a society to a permissible degree that we don't catch these people a lot of these people, at least when it comes to, like, comedians, and this is something I've experienced a little in my own life. Like, if you introduce yourself as a comedian, first and foremost, there's, a, there's like, you get, like, a weird air of laughability about facts about yourself. Yeah. Like, people just kind of laugh off things that you say or things that you do. And, and so I feel like they... Some of these creeps, some of these comedian creeps might have gotten this weird buffer of like, haha, this is a bit, right? Like, you're not actually like just going to jerk off in front of me. And then, of course, there's a point like midway through that you're like, oh, God, you're actually jerking off in front of me. This isn't a bit. You're just doing it. And then it goes on longer and like they finish. And it's like, that wasn't a bit. This is serious, but no one's going to believe me because he's a comedian. 
the the unique power of comedians uh i feel like it, it's kind of someone who self-identifies as a comedian and in the times in my life when that has been what I was primarily known for. The neat thing is that it like snips off both ends of your life because you're essentially saying when you primarily identify with humor that my life is a premise. Uh, My life is not a life. It does not have the same emotional richness or completeness as your life does. Make no mistake. I am a walking premise and there may eventually be a punchline. Uh, I'm full of bits. I don't take myself too seriously. I self-deprecate. Ha ha. I hate myself. Uh, and that's how you appear to people. So like your high highs and your low lows are snipped out of your life from other people's perspectives. Because when they see you really depressed and struggling with like addiction or substances like alcohol, they're like, ah, oh, that's just how he is. He's a funny guy. Yeah. I mean, that the underlying like, oh, man, all comedians are dark on the inside. And this is how he self-medicates his darkness. And it's like. No, I just have a substance abuse problem. Yeah, uh, there, there have been moments in my life when, like, I was a kind of a full-blown alcoholic, and no one, like, mentioned it, uh, which, which has definitely happened in the past. But I feel like for these people, uh, for your Louis C.K., so he can talk about being a creep on stage, and then people will maybe corroborate it in, in an interview. But I feel like you have to work so hard to bust through like the layers of being a comedian to be like, wait, hold on. This is serious. We really need to pay attention. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like she gets a lot of flack for it, but Hannah Gadsby's standup, or at least her, her biggest standup Nanette was about that. Like how comedians like self deprecate uh, and it's primarily for controlling tension and controlling a narrative. And when someone is a comedian, you assume they always have control of the narrative, even though they don't. Right. Uh, so comedians are particularly insidious for this stuff. And we need to take it serious earlier than we do. On top of that, like, so that, but compounding that is the fact that a lot of these, a lot of the victims of these people are younger uh, fans of the person like they're not complete strangers and so there's a one there's a power differential just because of they're a fan of the person and two uh, there's an age difference and, and so like the, these factors play into like well is anyone gonna believe me if I report this person or in the in the case of young women comedians they're like am I gonna completely torpedo my own career? if I speak out against this kind of like foundation of comedy, like this guy pulls strings, he can make things happen for my career. And if I speak out, am I going to be ostracized? Am I going to be blacklisted? And and so like, there's a bunch of different factors that because they don't get called out in like a legal way or like in a, and like an actual way, we gloss over the behavior that we see them do because we think it's a bit because of what we just discussed. One thing, I don't think that corporate America does almost anything right. One thing I do think that corporate America does right in terms of uh, like uh, harassment and workplace dating is that if someone is in a relationship with someone else, either a friendly relationship or a romantic relationship, and one of the parties is in a position of greater power than the other, that is immediately prioritized as one of the first things that HR will look at. One of, if, if there is a perceived 
uh, or in fact power differential, uh, people will immediately place that relationship under scrutiny. And I feel like we might need to do that in society. Right. Like, uh, so when this is a, for instance, and I can't, can't remember. It, it must've been Drake. It came out that Drake was texting Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things. Oh, uh, well, You're, Drake's a pedophile too. Yeah. I mean, but, but, parody. When that came out, everyone jumped on it and like called it out for what it was. It was like, this is weird. It, it, it's a, is that is that kind of what you're talking about? Like when we see problematic relationships, people need to like examine it a little bit more. Yeah, like if I, I think that we as a society should be like, ah, oh, Louis C.K., a known extremely famous comedian, is like going off, going somewhere with this comedian who's like totally in the same circles, but is a significant power imbalance because she like just got started and they're just like going off somewhere. Maybe we as people should be like, let's remember that this happened and maybe talk to her about it later. (laughs) We're going to bookmark this for later, put a pin in it. You know, if if she comes out later and says something happened, you know, maybe we investigate it a little more. Yeah. Um, Maybe, maybe immediately believe and be really on it to be like, Hey, what was that? What was that like? You don't have to tell us, but like if anything weird happened, uh, tell us. Right. Uh, So around the time that Me Too started happening, a lot of people, you know, people were kind of like there was blood in the water. They were looking for looking for people to snap at. And for some reason, David Schwimmer came up and a, a, a writer came out and told a story about David Schwimmer they met at like a hotel bar that was very loud. And so Schwimmer was like, Hey, I don't normally do this, but I've got a room here. Can we continue this conversation in my room? Do you need to call a friend to be there with you? (laughs) Like he, he was making going out of his way to make sure she felt safe. And she ended up did like ended up calling a friend to hang out just like to be a witness in this meeting between David Schwimmer and her. And he, you know, he, he wasn't trying anything. He was just like, I can't really, we can't really talk here. It's quieter up in the room. I want to hear your idea. And so like, maybe these male people who are like doing shady things, like, or, you know, maybe we need mediators. We need witnesses. We need third parties to make sure things aren't being weird. Yeah. I, I, I mean, typically speaking, if, uh, if a woman goes on a date, they, they have some amount of support system. Like right, something right. awful happens. Cause men are terrible. Also, well, uh, yeah, they're, they're like, Hey, you know, we're going here and, and like, we're going there. If you don't hear from me, you know, something, something weird happened. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, also I, I, I want to make sure it sounds like we maybe characterize the Me Too movement as being like a blood in the water sharks kind of thing with people like going after people. I don't there know was that a, I necessarily agree with the the language. There was a little bit of that going on. There was a lot of really good work happening, but there were people trying to weaponize it for their own agenda. I, I guess as there is with everything. I guess I just and, wasn't close yeah. enough to any of that stuff to really speak to it. I was on Twitter at the time, so I saw a lot of, you know, people going all out in every direction. And the only only ones that stuck were the ones that were true. 
So, like, in the end, good things happen. But, like, with any movement, people are going to try to wrest control of it for their own weird things. Like, the thing that happened with James Gunn, that was kind of spinning out of the Me Too thing. They dug back ten years to find these these horrible jokes that he did. But then he did, like, since then he had recanted. But that was people trying to cancel him because, uh, honestly, because Roseanne got canceled. Like, that, that was a direct cause and effect thing. And, and I think all of this speaks to, even though we have canceled people, and make no mistake, listeners, will continue to cancel people with reckless abandon. Uh, by the way, Christy Elliott canceled. Uh, so I, I think Jimmy the cancel Kimmel. culture, uh, cancel culture as a thing, is actually uh, pretty bad. And uh, I think that it, it can be weaponized. It can be used against people because cancel culture creates a narrative in which redemption is not possible. Uh, and I don't really want to live in a world where that's the case. Uh, what was I going to say? So uh, the language I, I used might have been more violent and problematic than it needed to be. Uh, you, yeah. you were calling out my, my use of language for describing me too as like a bloodbath. And uh, yeah, so I might have gone over the top. I was just being descriptive. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's totally fine. I just want to make sure we're both on the same page as far as language goes. Yeah. Uh, however, Christy Elliott canceled kill him. God damn it. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's – I so this isn't a story that I, I tell very often at all. Uh, but before my previous relationship, I did experience Tinder for maybe about three months total. Uh, and I remember I was a, a naive person, 24, I think. Uh, I was a naive person, and I was on a date with someone – uh, she was the captain of the Quidditch team, bringing it back to Harry Potter. You goddamn fucking millennial. I'm such a millennial. I was adulting so hard. Um, but yes, she was the captain. She was of a Quidditch team. She was in grad school. Uh, and we were hanging out and she was like texting somebody. And I was like, oh, who are you texting? Cause it was going nowhere. And we were just talking like friends at this point. And she's like, I'm just texting my friend. I told her she like didn't hear from me that I'd be at the Starbucks. And it shocked me. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I was like, I never thought that I'd be the kind of person that anyone would say, oh, if this dude murders me, here's where we went in case you need to like fill out a police report. I'm like, but that's almost every interaction because there is a certain amount of implied power imbalance in every like, uh, kind of heterosexual relationship. But I feel like that exists at pretty much every level, but it becomes only more amplified when you bring like fame within certain circles. And like, if you look at someone like Harvey Weinstein, he was in a position of like complete power over people. Uh, and that's why what he did was awful and went on for so long. That's not right. really one where you can go back and be like, oh, here he is on stage talking about what a fucking creep he is. Uh, he was very well, insidious and very powerful. Instead, we've got, here's a couple of years ago, Courtney Love saying how bad of a person he was on the red carpet and her then subsequent blacklisting from Hollywood. Yeah. Other people called him out. But no, I, I get what you're saying. Like, they're... And, and like it, you can't take it personally because it wasn't you that yeah. she was. A, it was just it was an unknown. It was a stranger. Anytime you meet a stranger, it's like there's this 
an, a level of apprehension and, and women feel that stronger than, than men do just because of the inherent strength difference between the genders because of stupid biology. But imagine if you were unknown, that's what these women are going through. Like they know who the stage persona of a Christy Elia is or a Harvey Weinstein is. And they, so like they know them and that already gives them so much power. And then on top of that, like there's this weird abuse thing where it's like, man, I, I met one of my heroes, but he tried to sexually abuse me. What the fuck do I do with that? Yeah, because if, if you're if you're engaging in something with someone who's like famous, obviously you want to because they might be one of your heroes. Uh, but they have so much power because they can negate your story. Uh, they they might be able to physically overpower you. It's t- it's difficult to speak out because you don't want your career to be ruined. Because something that people don't talk about there's this there's this really kind of rote, tired argument that people make when victims come out against the their abusers, where they say, "Oh, they just want the attention and the fame." I'm like. Tell me what the name of the first woman who credibly accused Bill Cosby that led to his cancellation and imprisonment was. Uh, I'll give you three guesses. You're not going to get it. Because these people don't get fame or book deals for the most part. They're just doing it to tell their story. Yeah, no. If you ask uh, Monica Lewinsky, like how much money she's made off of the, you know, the, the stuff that she's been through. And I know that this is kind of maybe a different case, but still like, She's a very prominent figure in a sexual case. She's not getting any money from it. She got a, a, a lifetime of death threats. Like, Yeah, she got a lifetime of death threats, about five years of slut-shaming in the media. Like, People do this at immense personal cost. So if, if we understand that, you know, put yourself in the position of the person who's being solicited by Christy Elia. You, you're absolutely on the back foot. You're on the back foot tenfold. You have nothing to fight back with. And I'm very glad that uh, whoever Christy Elia uh, attempted to abuse or did successfully abuse came forward and that we're talking about it now. Yeah, and had receipts to back it up, you know. I, it, <laughs> I really have to look up that clip of him on that podcast. No, it's good, but not but like the, absolutely the screenshots. You know, having the 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 in the moment wherewithal to save these screenshots for if this ever came up later to to prove it. That's a, that's smart. That's good. We need to applaud that. We need to encourage that because because evidence is is indefutable. You know. Having having the the receipts and the words right there in front of you, and to be able to be shared with other people, that's what we need. And and I know that doesn't happen. You don't have the opportunity for that in every situation because if there's anything a predator learns, it's how to be fucking smart because they're predators and they're evil. You know, Scar from the Lion King didn't get to where he was by being stupid. This is another thing Zoomers hate about millennials. All we talk about is the Lion King. I wasn't aware of that stereotype. Oh, no. <laughs> All we talk about is Hakuna Matata. But I'm saying, like, it, it find a way. It, not find a way, but, like, I, I want to applaud the cleverness of that person in protecting herself for when eventually she could come out and say these things. Like, I, I you know, I want to applaud that. Because if anything, 
there's, there's like victim blaming is a, it, it, victim blaming is a term, but victim praising is not. <laughs> yeah, and we feel like we need the victim praise in this moment. We really need to to treat them like people who did a citizen's arrest on a criminal. Uh, we we should we should applaud these people because honestly, what they do takes a tremendous amount of bravery and cleverness to bring credible accusations towards these people because they're smart. Yeah, yeah, they're I agree. they're real. They're we need to praise them like Batman. Yeah, they're all Batman or Batwomen because Batwoman is a thing or in their Bat- own unique ways. Or Bat Robins or Nightwings. Nobody wants to be Nightwing, Joan. Nightwing's cool. Uh, Nightwing's okay. Listen, (laughs) (laughs) let the the hardest pivot away from a conversation about praising sexual assault, abuse, and harassment survivors is Nightwing's pretty cool. But yes, we, we we should praise them. Yes. But don't praise Nightwing. Nightwing's cool, dude. He's okay. Nightwing's cool. Are we talking Tim Drake? Which Nightwing are you talking about? Yeah, we're talking Tim Drake. Okay, Nightwing's fine. <sighs> Nightwing's cool. He's... It's, uh, we don't have to talk about this. We don't have to, we don't have to talk about this. Cancel just... all abusers. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm seething about the Nightwing comments, but... Uh, <laughs> Maybe Nightwing's got some problems. I don't know. Maybe I'm not brave enough to say... Okay, no. I don't want to do that joke. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, no conflation there. Um, but, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see the creeps to come out in the future. Uh, or maybe, you know what? Maybe we got them all. Well, I just wish something would stick to Michael Bay. Like... All of, the evidence is right in front of us. And, I feel like and all all it really takes for somebody, if we talk about our our deepest pathologies, our deep our deepest like uh, our deepest id, or maybe our like darkest ego, is that we need one excuse not to look too deeply. Because when you were telling me about Michael Bay initially, not even into the story about. Once Megan Fox and her age entered the conversation, I uh, got very grossed out. But before that, we were like, "We're now we're about to go to Michael Bay. I was like, oh, but I really love The Rock and Bad Boys too. So I'm not going to listen to anything this fucking hater has to say. Uh, but then you told me and I got grossed out and believed you. But I feel like people uh, in their darkest moments just need one excuse not to listen to a victim. The unfortunate thing in the Michael Bay case is that he his movies for as you know opinion coming, but for how tasteless and and kind of just on the surface his movies are, they what make the a lot of. You, what about that scene in Bad Boys Two where they drive through a favela because Michael Bay thought the concept of favelas was cool? His movies make a lot of money. And so he's kind of got, like, this stupid barrier of protection around him. He's going to keep getting work, like, for whatever reason, Brian Singer keeps getting work. His movies make money. And so that one just baffles me. I don't understand Brian Singer. 
This is this is one. This is one where society is choosing to do nothing about it. It's credible. People know. Almost everyone that I've brought Brian Singer up to in real life, they're like, oh, isn't he like kind of creepy? And like his movies suck. The only good thing Brian Singer ever did was Quicksilver in, I think, the third X-Men movie where he does that cool slow-mo thing to time in a bottle that was ripped off by Sonic the Hedgehog, but Sonic the Hedgehog actually kind of did it better. That was the only thing he did that was good. Quicksilver in X-Men 3? Or or do you mean in Days of Future Past? Days of Future Past. Is that Singer? I think so, right? I gotta do a quick fact check. Uh, Stall for time. Uh, Henry's doing a quick fact check, so I'm going to talk about the character of Quicksilver. He's played by Creepy Guy from American Horror Story. He was also, I believe, yeah, right? It is directed by Brian Singer. Yeah, it really is. Oh, god damn. I think Days of Future Past is a decent movie, and that sequence is incredible. However, I'm willing to strike it from my memory, because like I said, Sonic the Hedgehog did it better. Yeah, just replace it with the Sonic the Hedgehog bit. There's nothing bad about Ben Schwartz, I hope. Oh, God, I hope. I'm just saying that there need to be more uh, kind of uh, milestone moments in popular movies set to Jim Croce music. I don't know who that is. He did Time in a Bottle. I don't know what that is. You remember that scene with Quicksilver where he runs around the room and like rearranges it such that when time starts again, everyone like shoots each other? Yeah, it's, pretty, it's a really great scene. I just don't remember there being a song. There's a song, it's Time in a Bottle. Uh, Anyway, I'm just saying that's the one good thing Brian Singer ever did. I just think it's a travesty that he exists. Here's here's a perfect example, though. He He is a pederast and a creep, and we just spent the majority of the time we're going to spend talking about him talking about the cool thing he did in a movie once. Oh yeah, this is our example. Like, there's every people just need one reason to excuse everything. I don't know. So, uh, okay, so Brian Singer is a is a monster, and he should be canceled. But for some reason, he's not. Who are the people that Kirk Cameron keeps calling out over the past couple of decades? Uh, I'm not familiar with these. I feel like it's. Oh, I said Kirk Cameron. Maybe it's not Kirk Cameron. Is it James Cameron, director of Avatar? No. There were two young child actors who whose careers didn't go anywhere, but years later they came out and said that they were part of like a really awful pedophile ring. And I want to say it was Kirk Cameron and somebody else who, who was behind oh, no. it. Oh, no. Oh. Wait, this Kirk is... Cameron is behind the... No, 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 what? Oh no, I just watched Gremlins and that kid is in Gremlins. He was the victim, John. Hold on, hold on. Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman. That's who I'm thinking of, sorry. Apologies to Kirk Cameron, I guess. Uh, maybe uh, he's a born again Christian. Who knows? Uh, so Corey Feldman. Who are the people that Corey Feldman's been calling out all these years? Why are they not being canceled? Yeah, I mean, being interviewed multiple times, having a movie 
uh, in 20... I mean, Corey Feldman's career was destroyed because he spoke against being in a, in a mechanistic, uh, like, pedophile cabal in Hollywood. Why aren't we talking about that? Yeah, no, like, I... I this is baffling that, one, apparently Hollywood attracts all these creeps. And, and two, they, they just seem to get these scot-free cards for life. Unless they're Harvey Weinstein, where where they just they keep getting to pull off their crimes just with impunity, and it's it's baffling, and and something needs to be done. I mean, there's there's an argument to be made that a machine would let someone. I think Harvey Weinstein was maybe an anomaly. I don't think Harvey Weinstein was ever meant to go down before he died, but there's definitely a system in place that I feel like would maybe consider Harvey Weinstein once uh, once it had turned enough that they'd say, okay, well, Harvey's going to go down, uh, but how do we protect everyone else in this mechanistic, systemic uh, Hollywood, potentially uh, political, sexual cabal? Uh, how? Because on a certain level, there's a, there's a certain amount of organization to it. So... How do we hold these people accountable? Yeah, it it, it needs to be done like the uh, you know taken down Al Capone was done. You know, systematically dismantling organizations. You know, starting from the top and then working your way down to ensure that it doesn't keep happening. So, like, we took out Weinstein, but we need to get like the second command and the person after that. You know. We need to dismantle this piece by piece, like in uh, Batman Begins. Yeah, taking it back to Nightwing. Uh, I think that the problem... In, Nightwing's uh, not in it. I think the problem that we have is it's a real Panama Papers scenario where the truth, when presented in full, is too much to bargain with, so people just choose not to. I mean, right. the Catholic Church still operates and still has problems. I mean, you're absolutely right. And the Pope is like, yeah, we're, we're not going to tolerate this. But at the same time, he's sheltering people who, who, who perpetuate the problems. So how do we not all, this is a serious question. How do we not all go back to our mansions and go back to the caves that exist underneath all mansions and we strap on the riot gear and we start taking these people out? How do we not do that? How have we not done that? I keep saying that revolution is inevitable. <laughs> and I keep I I have I have these thoughts, John, of when I hear like, you know, the 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 thing that happened with Bill Barr and that attorney from the SDNY and you know, all all of that that happened this past week. And I just think why hasn't someone just, I don't know, and this is parody, why hasn't someone just taken out Bill Barr and Mitch McConnell and others yet? Why hasn't someone just done the right thing and just taken them out of the picture? I and I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why that doesn't happen. We, we live in a, in a fundamentally rotten environment, uh, and we're just now... Uh, growing the emotional and the technological capabilities to catch up to that and understand what's going on. Uh, however, like the Panama Papers proved, if you show people too much, they tune it out. 
because no one wants to admit that they live in a world that's that dark. Uh, so I hope that after the mound of, of skulls made up of people like Chris D'Elia, we will be able to accept that our world is fundamentally broken and then work to change it. Here's hoping, you know, and I know it takes a little bit at a time, kind of like the, uh, the black matter, black lives matters protests that are going on. You, you make a little bit of progress each, each time this comes up. The point is you don't stop fighting. You don't stop pushing until you get the end result that you want. And so that's what we got to do. We got to not stop fighting. We, we can't get distracted by the next thing that comes up, which, you know, ultimately happens to a large percent of the population. We got to keep making these strides forward every day, keep being good people in the, and what we can control in our lives and keep speaking out for the victims of the, of what happens and just hope for the best that change happens. But at the end of the day, wouldn't a revolution just, you know, speed that up a little bit. I'm just saying that the only thing, this is my call to action to our viewers, to our listeners, to our fans, is I think that there is this thing going on right now where people are calling it justice fatigue, visibility fatigue, uh, or activism fatigue, where people get sick, I guess, of sharing things on their Instagram stories about resources for like buying from black owned businesses. They get tired of engaging in it. And I think the sooner that we all realize that we are engaged in a fight, we are engaged in a war that to be honest with you, if we're not careful could last the rest of our lives. The only thing we can do is wake up in the morning Every day, pick up our, this is parody, gun and helmet and uh, just get out there and uh, fight the best fight we can uh, because there's there's no crying in baseball. You can't get tired of war. It's right. your job, baby. When to strap up in our seven foot tall riot armor and uh, go intimidate some police like that one guy is doing. I'm sorry, did you say intimidate or inseminate? Intimidate. Oh, okay. No, uh, did not, I, I heard the latter and I did not like it. You've seen that guy though, right? The guy, the seven foot tall guy in the riot gear that just goes around the protest and just looks down on police? It's, yes, it's very cool. Um, the thing that I would find interesting is, is how long a meaningful police presence would last if we created a series of GoFundMes to outfit protesters with the exact same amount of like war-grade ballistics equipment that police wear and stun guns and firearms. I, I mean, uh, I, I think, if anything, the lesson between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight needs to be reiterated where... Uh... If you escalate, they'll escalate. That's just kind of how that's kind of how arms races work. Damn it. I guess we need to build a a a surveillance system so we can look at everyone on Earth at the same time. Yeah, yeah, like in the dark night. Yeah. That probably already exists. I don't know. John Oliver had like a video about facial recognition that I haven't watched yet. And I'm, I'm just looking sh- forward to uh, to learning how to do makeup that 
that scrambles facial recognition on CCTV. My favorite thing is if you just wear a mask, you can't be facially facially recognized. I'm looking forward to once all this coronavirus shit is over to just continue to wear a mask. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a certain level of privilege in that. I mask, sunglasses, hat. Uh, again, Perfect. there's a there's a certain level of privilege that that's an option for you. Oh yeah, that's fair. Um, I you know there's there there there's something tw- trending on Twitter right now about a person who was gunned down by the police. They were anemic, so they wear they wore a hoodie a lot of the time, and they wore a mask because they had a cold, and they were shot for looking suspicious. And it just was, you know, they just awful. happened to also be black. And just, I'm bet I'm betting if you know if you were in that position of wearing a hoodie and a mask, you might not be shot because of the color of your skin. This is yeah. this is acknowledging the privilege that we might have. Yeah, that's fair. Did you? Uh, we can't get into this. Did you read that uh, the first ever report on uh, officer involved fatalities? in uh, Austin got published and everyone who's ever been shot has been a minority. I did see that. Yes. And that is very troubling. And yes, you can't deny again. This is evidence. It's irrefutable. You can't deny facts. There is obviously a prejudice here. I, I know we have to wrap up the episode, but the call to action is every day, pick up your parody gun and your helmet, keep receipts, uh, get that, and get, fight every day. Turn that turn that cell phone camera on, or, or take screenshots. You know, just collect evidence. <laughs> I, I laugh mean, at the end of that, but I need it. Like collect evidence. Like just just protect yourself. You're a small business owner in the early '90s, baby. Your job is collecting receipts. Exactly. Yeah. This shit can't be automated yet. No TurboTax yet, baby. No Quicken Pro. <laughs> That's a dumb joke. That's a dumb joke. There's no quick way to protest against what's happening. It's gonna take you the length of an e-books. E-book? E-books. Is that a thing? I'm not entirely sure what you're doing right now. Quick books is what I was thinking. Oh. It's not going to be quick like books. H&R Block. It's not going to be turbo. It'll be pretty taxing. Oh, my God. I have undersold my point. Anyway, get out there and fight Chris D'Elia. Yes. Get in the streets. Fight Chris D'Elia. Let's get that boxing match going. Chris D'Elia... V. Ron Perlman, V. Jim Jordan, V. Ted Cruz, and an all knockout, drag out fight winner gets everything, only if it's Ron Perlman. It's a buried alive match, but once you start digging up the grave, Sir Sharonin comes out and drops an elbow on Ted Cruz. And not just any elbow, she's borrowed it from the rock. It's the people's elbow, the one and only. I like this. Uh, you want to end the episode? I feel like we should. <laughs> yeah. All we did was talk about how uh, you need... We made a lot of really good points. I feel uh, like we, we, we've covered a lot. 
And, you know, for not having anything prepared going into this episode, I feel like we've hit a lot of the points that I that I wanted to hit, other than, like, a few jokes about how Mixer is uh, ending forever. Uh, fuck Ninja. So, since you are... Ninja went to Mixer, right? Yeah, Ninja went to Mixer. Uh, don't care. Uh, since you're <laughs> editing the episode this week, I guess I'll do the social media, right? Right, Ninja got $20 million. That's right. So if you want to send us your ninjas, if you want to send us your streams, if you want to send us your OnlyFans, don't do that one. Uh, you can do so on our Twitter at ZCPCWHJ.com. That stands for Henry. So two streamers from Twitch, Ninja and Shroud, both went over the mixer for exclusive deals to the tune of 20 and $30 million. The thing is, Mixer got canceled. It's gone. That's right, Henry. And you can also send us an email at email at zerocredits.net. It seems like the forwarding is working. Uh, so that is great. You can also find us on a series of social media platforms such as, well, we don't do Facebook anymore. Damn it. What else do we do? That's right. We do Spotify. You can find us on Spotify by searching for zero credit open parentheses S close parentheses on Spotify.com. Is that right? Spotify.com? Spotify app? I just got the Spotify family plan. And let me tell you, I've been listening to the freshest music. You guys heard of this Snoop Dogg. We're on Apple Podcasts. Search for zero credits on the Apple Podcast Store. Uh, one of the best ways people can learn about the podcast is if you rate us and also review us. And the best, most, and in fact, only way to get people to know about the podcast is word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. So please tell your friends in your various chat rooms, in your AIMs, in your IRCs, in your... I feel like there used to be a, a, a chat client that had, like, Q in the name. QRC? QRC, yeah, that's... Yeah. In your, uh, in your various... Man, I can't remember anything about the old internet. In your various Usenet groups, um, please... Uh, hack into people's phones, become a phone freak, and then when they pick up the line to talk to Bell South or the American Telephone and Telegraph, say, listen to Zero Credits. Bye. And from everyone here at the Zero Credits five-bathroom, multiple-bedroom studios, we just would like to say that then since Mixer canceled... Uh, Shroud and Ninja, they got paid in full their contract. They had a year-long exclusivity deal with Microsoft for Mixer for the tune of twenty and thirty million dollars. It's been less than a year, and that's those, right, Henry. Bye. They got twenty and thirty million dollars, and now they can do whatever they want, and they're going to keep streaming and keep working. Why would you keep working with a four percent?